Well, hello and welcome to episode 181 of The Cool Room. I'm your host, David Griffiths. It's a real pleasure to be having such an awesome lineup on the show today. Uh, so many things to talk about. A truly, truly packed agenda. Uh, we're going to be welcoming Sam, normally from Hop Nation, but in this instance, from the Blobfish Sour Beer Festival. Uh, so stay tuned to learn all about what's going to be happening at Blobfest. Uh, if you've been along before, you know how awesome it is. If you haven't been before, well, he's going to explain to you what's going to be on offer on the day. It sounds like it's going to be a heap of fun and a bit of luck. I'll be able to get along there and enjoy it with many of our cool room friends. Um, we have Carl from Moondog Brewery, uh, very much the topic of conversation here in the Melbourne brewery world and craft beer scene today is the news about their development out in Footscray at the old Franco Cotso site, uh, ruled out of, uh, out of contention by the Maribyrnong City Council within the last few hours, uh, and Carl comes on to tell us about, well, First of all, what the whole development's about and what the brewery is thinking of doing next on that front. Uh, and then we get on to talking with Ross from Bacchus Brewing, the second part of our interview with him. Go back and check out the first part in episode 180 if you haven't already heard that bit. Uh, and make sure you grab a tasting pack. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Um, look, lots of positive news around the craft beer scene as well at the moment. There's uh, always a bit of bad news, but we like to focus on the positives. And, hey, we're going to start with one of the most positive things that's happened in our little cool room podcast community in so, so long, and that is to say that one of our demos, uh, there are many people called demo associated with the podcast. In this case, it's original demo, uh, the founding father, along with myself, of this podcast 180 episodes ago, Damo's got engaged, uh, and so I just want to give a big, truly happy cool room shout-out to Damo. Uh, mate, this is just fantastic news. We could not be happier here uh, that this is, uh, this is what's in your future. Uh, so um, if you haven't already checked out Damo's wrestling podcast, we obviously talk a fair bit of wrestling on the show here from time to time as well. Check out Wrestle Wolf, Wrestle Wolf, all one word. Uh, you'll be able to find that on the socials as well as on iTunes and all the places that you might find podcasts. Give him a follow, give him a listen. Say uh, congratulations and happy anniversary or whatever it is that one says when one gets engaged. Um, we really hope that you'll be able to support that. Damo was, uh, was part of the many adventures we had when the podcast was starting out. You know, we've been around for a long time now and it's funny how we, we see stories develop and hopefully some of the discussions that we're having today are just a part of what will be a journey for some of these brewers along the way. I always remember one of the first episodes that Damo and I did out and about was when we went to visit Deeds Brewing. Uh, and that was way back when they were still having problems with their local government, uh, their local council, about getting their tap room approved. Well, of course, that's all in the distant past now. We love going out and visiting Deeds uh, out at their tap room. Uh, so one of the fun things, I guess, is that when you've been a podcast that's around for 180 episodes, you get to see some of these stories develop. 
we might be seeing similar things over time with Moondog. So many episodes that we've had with Moondog now in the past and live shows as well. They've always been really generous in sharing their plans. Uh, and as you'll hear, we get a little bit of a, a rundown on what they've got planned out in Footscray. But if you go back and check out the previous visits from Moondog, you'll get to hear them, well, a few years ago, hinting at what their plans are. And then over the episodes, we get firmer and firmer plans from them. Uh, and look, then we have uh, we have a bit from Sam. Uh, we had Sam on the show pretty recently, just prior to Good Beer Week. We uh, we get to have his Good Beer Week wrap up. We get to hear about the renovations out at their site in uh, in Footscray, uh, and then we get to talk Blobfish Beer Festival, uh, and then we're going to get on with that interview with Bacchus. I think we've got one pack left, one tasting pack associated with that Bacchus uh, brewing visit. Um, the beers, as you'll hear, as you would have heard in the last episode, are amazing. Go over to our Shopify. Easy to find. Uh, just Google Cool Room Podcast Shopify and you'll be able to grab that Bacchus pack. But, hey, we've got way more than just that there. All sorts of other fun things. And this is what allows the podcast to keep running is your support by buying beers on that store so that we can deliver them to you and you can have the right beers in front of you while you listen to the podcast, either whether you're joining us live in the Zoom room or whether you're just listening back to the podcast later on. Uh, look, enormous deals on Sierra Nevada. We've got to close those offers off really soon. It was one of the best nights we've ever had live down there at Beer Deluxe uh, when we had Steve Grossman visit all the way from California to Melbourne. Uh, and to celebrate that fact, so many fun beers. We've got the Narwhal, we've got the Bigfoot Barley Wine, the Big Little Thing, the Torpedo, the Atomic Torpedo even, uh, just an amazing beer. Uh, six packs of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale cans, $25 for a pack. Um, that's just bonkersly good value. If you find that anywhere else, let me know. I just can't believe that they'd be offered at that price anywhere else. $99 for a slab of Sierra Nevada cans. Again, really great value. 35 bucks for a six pack. You can hear me, Sheila, but these are amazing beers. If you're into your craft beer, you almost certainly have tried Sierra Nevada before, but literally just in the last few days, we've been uh, delivering those beers to people who've never tried Sierra Nevada before. If you're a craft beer fan, this is where so much of the industry started. Grab the beers and then listen to the podcast. And in terms of upcoming things, well, we've got our black box collaboration with Carbon. That's literally starting to be delivered now. 12 very fun beers from 12 of Australia's best craft breweries. We're going to be doing four live podcasts in the first two weeks of July. Uh, each of the breweries is going to be on three breweries per episode. Uh, enormous value in terms of the kinds of beers you're going to be having. Uh, lots of one-offs in, in there that you're not going to be able to grab anywhere else. Go to our uh, Shopify, track down the black box. We're talking Fox Friday, Boat Rocker, Dangerous Ales, Slow Lane, Bright Brewery, Spotty Dog. Uh, our friend Nathan from King River is going to be along. Old friends of the of the podcast like Three Ravens, Goodland, Deeds, Banks, Banks and Hawkers. They're all included in that pack. Uh, please support the podcast grab those packs and uh, you'll be able to enjoy those episodes live with us on Zoom. You get to speak to the brewers. We'll record all of that and put it out as the podcast. And then coming up in the not too far distant future, uh, we've already got the social event lined up on 
Facebook. We've got it all locked in, and very soon the beers will go on sale over there. We're bringing Behemoth Brewing back onto the podcast. They've got a big new push in Australia. People know their beers. People know that there's a huge story attached uh, with them here in the Australian craft brew scene. Uh, so hopefully you'll be able to tune in and learn more about their beers. Um, look, you've heard enough from me. Uh, you're going to hear plenty of my voice in this episode anyway. Let's get underway. Let's welcome Sam from Hop Nation to talk Hop Nation and Blobfish Beer Festival. And we're joined now by Sam. Normally I say Sam from Hop Nation, but in this instance it's going to be Sam from the Blobfish Festival. Brother, how are you? Yeah, good, David. Yeah, um, always, always something happening, but yeah, um, good to have the chance today to talk about the upcoming festival. Mate, last time we had you on the show, it's not that long ago, it's when we were getting ready for Good Beer Week. How was Good Beer Week for you? Yeah, I mean, May is always always a busy, fun time with Good Beer Week and, and Gab's um, festival, but yeah, no, it, was, um, it was good this year. Maybe potentially a little bit quieter on events front, just generally um, not as many things happening, but the things that were happening were um, all really good and um, a lot of fun, so we definitely had a busy week and you know there's a few sick days between the staff the following weeks after but it's all part of part of the game that's part of the show how many dogs did you get along to your dog festival we we had lots of dog shapes and sizes um <laughs> thankfully no scraps of merit so now they all, all seem to enjoy it and drunk lots of um dog beer we i did catch up with a lady after and she said her little pup drunk a whole can as fast as she could um, um, see it, see it go and in and out, and then she went to Miss, Mr. West after for a um, drink, and, and the little pup pissed all over their furniture. So <laughs> we're, we're all about community here and, and sharing the love. Sharing, sharing a certain kind of love with Mr. West. Uh, the team over there are excellent people. I'm sure they took it in their stride, but um, you know, it's a trap for young players. That small dog, large can. Yeah, yeah. So um, no, no, it was good. It was good fun, and the weather was good, which always helped because it was outdoors. And um, yeah, no, it was good to be part of Good Beer Week and um, have something a little bit different, if not, you know, just a bit of fun. Excellent stuff. And um, speaking of fun, you guys always have fun things on tap out at the brewery. There, uh, we know that last time you were on, you were saying you're not far away from starting renovations. Where are Renos up to, and what's on tap at the moment? Um, yeah, renovations are in full swing. The, um, the tiler is in today, actually, doing the toilets. And we've got all right. the ki- kitchen putting some stainless steel in. So it's all happening, trying to get most of it done during the week. But, um, yeah, we launched the This Is Kalash last weekend at the brewery. And it's, always, um, it's actually the, the biggest weekend of the year for us at the brewery. So five days of Imperial Stouts. Um, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun, and we we pull out some back vintages and do some verticals, and um, with our with our beer club, we have a night night for them and get in, and everyone gets involved. So, um, yeah, that's been that's been great, and still still going. Well, we uh, we love that beer. It's one of our favourites. In our last episode, one hundred and eighty, we spoke with Rusty from the uh, Courthouse Hotel in North Melbourne, recently renovated. And he thought he might be a chance of snaffling a, a keg of that. So I don't know whether you're across you all that kind of stuff. But wherever you find it, the Clash is one of the all-time best Melbourne beers. 
Yeah, it's one one we've been doing. I think it's eight, seven years now, and um, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And we always hold back a, a bit of stock and re-release it and see how it ages over time. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a highlight of the year for us. So your your May is nuts with Good Beer Week. June is nuts with the release of the Clash and your biggest weekend there. And you thought to yourself, gee. No point in resting on our laurels. Let's have a really nuts July as well. Let's put on a sour beer festival. Yeah, so this um, start, it was about five years ago. This will be our third um, run at it. We had a couple of years off during COVID. But, yeah, we, we, do, um, we have a label called Site Fermentation Project, which we do all our barrel-aged mixed fermentation beers um, released under in, in bottle. And... We, there's a really good community around in within the beer world who do similar things, um, whether it's sour beers, saisons, you know, wild fermentations, um, using fruits, and just there's lots of weird and wonderful things happening. So we decided um, we'd kind of get together and have, I guess, a community-driven uh, beer festival um, in North Melbourne. And, um, yeah, it started off in 2020. And, um, or 2019, let me check that. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, 20 odd of, um, Australia's, you know, breweries that are really getting into that style, um, and just bringing something interesting and really involving, you know, we do it over three, three days. We, we brew a beer together the day leading up to it. We get together, we share ideas and, um, kind of, a little bit more of a community-based festival rather than just a big showcase. So we really wanted all the owners and brewers to be behind the stands and want people to chat to them and, and really get involved in what's going on and try and learn and, um, you know, develop this style within the beer world. Yeah, you know, um, we'll get on to some of those brewers in a minute. We've got some real favourites and friends of the cool room in that lineup, but... I guess when people who might be listening might be new to craft beer, we have a lot of people on our podcast who are a bit like that, they hear phrases like weird and wonderful and they probably go, oh, that's not for me, I don't really get weird and wonderful beers. Let's talk a little bit about why sours are actually probably more approachable than some people think and and let's speak to those people. Let's get them excited for the festival. Um, Yeah, I guess in, in some certain terms it's... It's a very traditional way of brewing before hygiene and stainless steel became such an important part of the industrial side of beer. So it's um, not just one strain of yeast kind of making these beers. Um, There's a a wonderful mix of yeast and bacteria. And so it creates a beer, it's generalising a bit, that's probably more in the world of a natural wine um, where it's kind of complex. There are some that are... Sour, but some are just a little bit kind of funky, natural, hazy looking. Um, some people use fruits, so they're fruit of beers. Um, and, you know, it's something that you taste. You don't drink a pint of it. You more kind of have a glass of it for most of the beers. So it's just um, and each, each beer often from each brewery has a story behind it, you know, whether it's a local harvest of a fruit or something, a style that, they really enjoy, um, you know, and a lot of them have been aging in barrels for a couple of years. So usually, you know, a beer would take three three weeks to make, but some of these are blends of things that they've aged for 
for, for a long time and, and they've created this beer through, you know, different batches and blends. Um, so it's just a, it's a very involved style of beer that people take a lot of pride in and, um, you know, and this event allows people to chat to them. Um, sometimes when you stare at a wall of weird, weird, wonderful beers, you can be a little bit intimidated to make a, a grab for one, but this allows you to taste um, 50 plus different beers from different breweries, yeah. And I guess just by definition of what you said there, usually these beers are, are one-offs as well, aren't they? So either sometimes vintages of a style that gets produced each year, but just like a wine, you can go to the same winery, get grapes off the same vine, but they're going to produce something different every year depending on what the, the winemaker does and just depending on what the vintage itself is like. Yeah, absolutely. Each each um release is not necessarily meant to be the same as before they all have their own personality and um you know you get to try it once and then yeah the next year they make it it might be slightly different so um yeah it's not about consistency it's about interest and excitement in these beers are you able to give people a little preview of what you're bringing along yourselves from site fermentation um yeah we will have this year's um cherry harvest beer so we call it lapin um, it's a, the um, name of the variety of the cherry, which we um, get from a, a grower up in Benilla each year, and he usually drops them down just before Christmas, sometimes a little bit too close to Christmas, but he always <laughs> he always rocks up, um, often without a phone call. But we usually have the base beer ready, and, um, and the um, cherries are like a first harvest, so um, a first pick, so usually the split ones and ones that aren't ready for um, the supermarket or the restaurants. And then we each year we do do a blobfish beer, so we'll be bringing that along, which is um, a food rage um, saison that we all brew together, um, utilising um, some different yeast and bacteria that each brewery has brought along. And then it was finished on some Pinot Gris skins from um, the Pinot Gris we made this year, so after pressing. So, um, yeah, pretty kind of funky saison with a, with a bit of flavour and aroma from those grape skins. So, yeah, that'll be a couple that we'll bring, but each brewery has a couple of taps and, um, you know, often they'll be rotating throughout the festival, so not the same beer will be on the whole session here. Yeah. So there'll be lots to look at and lots to, lots to taste. You've uh, you've got some of our favourite uh, Victorian breweries on the on the lineup there. We can see that you've got Bridge Road, you've got Deeds, you've got Black Arts. We love them, uh, Edapral, and um, even our good friends uh, from Sobra Mesa, who I make a point of mispronouncing their name every single mm-hmm. time they're on the podcast. But a big lineup of uh, of international of interstates, I should say as well. Yeah, we're trying to incorporate. Um you know, what's happening around Australia. So, you know, Beer From from WA, um, we've got Rocky Ridge from WA doing some really good stuff. And um, this year for the first time, we've got felons coming down from Queensland who um, have really got into that space, um, as well as um, Van Diemen always enjoys coming up um, from, from Tassie and um, always brings some interesting stuff. Um, and then, you know, from New South Wales as well, um, you know, Wildflower, who obviously leads leads us in, in this area as well with some awesome beers um, and slow lane as well coming down from New South Wales. So, yeah, we've we've kind of 
tried to spread the spread the love, and we've also first time we've got a South Australian Brewery Ministry of Beer coming. Um, I don't know much about them. Um, yeah, they're um, they're doing some really cool stuff. We got to know them pretty well because they bought a um, old bottling line off us a few <laughs> years ago. So we've um, stayed in contact and um, at beer barbecue um, tasted some of their um, barrel aged beers and they're really good so I'm excited to see what they they bring over and look certainly in terms of our New, New South Wales breweries Slow Lane we love and we've had them on the show many times now uh, and Wildflower we love and we've never got them on the show so I might just camp out at the front of their stall and not let anyone else through until they agree <laughs> uh, to come on that'll be my little uh, my little trick yeah no I'm sure I'm sure I'm always up for a chat so yeah, and that'd be um, definitely worthwhile. Now, we're talking here Saturday, the 22nd of July. There are two sessions. There's an afternoon session and a night session available. Yeah, so we've split over two sessions um, from 11.30 to 4 during the day and the night times 5 to 9.30. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a decent amount of time to make your way around. Um, all the tastings are included in the ticket, so there's, an, there's no rush and you know, no swing your card around. You can just make your way around and chat to the, the brewers and taste, taste what they bring along. So that's 44 different beers you can taste included in the ticket price. Is that that's what I'm seeing on the website? Yeah, at least. I mean, if people rotate their taps, then, you know, yeah. So there's probably more than a, a human can taste, but, you know, you can definitely <laughs> have a crack. We, we, we have both human listeners and inhuman or unhuman listeners as well, so I'm sure there'll be some of them who are keen to try and give it a crack. Uh, at the Meat Market in North Melbourne, one of genuinely my favourite venues in the whole city of Melbourne, uh, not just for council meetings, which is where I tend to appear there, but also I've tried to organise wrestling festivals there in the past. Uh, it's an awesome venue for anyone who hasn't been there before. How are people finding their tickets, Sam, if they're looking out there, if they're excited? Um, yeah, the tickets are, are through the website or um, Instagram, and but they're through human, Humanitics. Um, you'll see a link through um, our Instagram or at the Hop Nation um, Instagram and website. We've, um, yeah, the meat markets, I mean, especially during winter, it's cosy, it's got character. As soon as we went in there, we knew it would be a great space and, um, it'll be our third time in there, and it's, and yeah, we set things up a similar but a little bit different this year. I was um, when we were looking at what we do this year, I kind of reached back to there's a festival in New Zealand, the the Hokitika Wild Food Festival, in the west coast of the South Island, and this year we kind of wanted to incorporate um, some wild and interesting food as well into the mix to um, to match and, and complement the beers. And, yeah, we'll have some kangaroo tacos from Dingo Ate My Taco. I think um, Pie Thief are putting a wild boar and pine mushroom uh, mixed together. Oh, so, you're speaking my language there. And, and, we'll, and as usual, we'll have our two-buck shuck oysters. So um, there'll be some um, definitely some more than sour beer, but some food to wash it down with. Awesome. And a few rattenhoons along the way just to cleanse the palate. <laughs> Yeah, you can't, can't go wrong with a palate cleanser. Yeah, there'll be some um, tin, tins available and also um, Mr. West will be putting together some kind of um, cocktails based around some um, 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 wild agave producers. So there'll be um, some really interesting tequilas and mezcals as well. Um, and then, 
We also have Carwin Sellers um, with their takeaway bottle shop, which they will be selling beers from the brewers on the day, as well as they'll be rustling up some pretty impressive beers from their cellar that they'll bring, um, especially on the day. That is quite a lineup of events. Uh, if people can sneak that into either only one of the sessions, uh, it's going to be an awesome time. I'm sure there'll be people who butter up for both of them. Sam, you're always really generous with your time, mate. I appreciate it. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing you and heaps of our listeners along at Blobfish. Yep. Thanks for your time, David. And cheers, guys. And we're joined now by old friends of the show, Moondog Brewing. We've got Carl officially on the line. Carl, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm well, thanks, David. How, how are you going? I'm good, thanks, mate. And I think somewhere perhaps lurking in the background behind those Venetian blinds, we might have uh, Josh, we might have Dave, we might have all sorts of people from the brewery lurking in the background there. That's how Moondog works, isn't it? That's all right. We are lurkers. <laughs> <laughs> Lurkers in the best possible sense. Um, we've got to look, everyone knows what we're going to be talking about today is going to be talking about your Western Suburbs uh, venture. But before we get to that, given that people are listening in, let's just uh, let's talk about a couple of other things in the Moondog uh, world and Moondog land. First of all, how was Good Beer Week for all you guys? Have you recovered yet? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this, this Good Beer Week was fantastic. We, we had a great time and I think everyone's pretty much recovered now. Um, like we had some great events. We had a wrestling event on. I think that you were you mentioned as well. Yes, went I went out there and joined Lord Andy Coyne and the Renegades of Wrestling. I didn't see you. I didn't see Josh. I, I come to expect outrageous costumes and you guys jumping off the top rope. What what happened this year? <laughs> no, I, I, I had a quiet one. This is my my first good beer week with a uh, with a new son. So uh, yeah, it was always going to be a quieter one for me. Very sensible approach, mate. Not something I say about Moondog all that often. Um, and how about the how about the barrel aged beery banquet? That certainly sounded like my kind of thing. Yeah, that was fantastic. We had a really good turnout. And it was a really great atmosphere. People enjoying the, the delicious food that came out from our kitchen and matched with the really rich and flavoursome barrel aged beers. Uh, that was a really successful night. People had a great time. So. Um, yes. Yeah, we also had another dinner that we did. Uh, we collaborated with with uh, Chin Chin that we do every year, which was absolutely fantastic. Again, another a food and beer matching uh, night. Uh, so, and then of course our uh, annual Abbey Collabby celebration, where we collaborate with the other breweries around the Abbotsford area, including uh, Bodrigi and Mountain Goat and Matilda Bay. So it was all that was a lot of fun as well. It was a bit of a, a cowboy themed at. Uh, at our OG venue, so that yeah, that was great. Uh, and is that still on tap, available at the venues, or has that already disappeared? Um, I think it. I think it is still available. Yeah, from memory, but yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, we've got uh, yeah a, a plant sale here uh, this weekend, which a huge amount of indoor plants that are available. We've got our uh, beer and cheese matching dinner on the twenty second next week, which is uh, just a fantastic night where. We have some really uh, interesting and rare cheeses matched with some of our delicious beers. Uh, that's always a very popular one. And then we have our chili festival next weekend, uh, celebrating all things chili, and uh, that's, they're always a lot of fun too. I, I love you speaking my language, brother. Cheese, chili, all those kinds of things. There's a bit of an urban myth about what some of these plant sales are about at other venues. Not your fine venue, I admit, but I, I presume that this is just a legit indoor plant sale. 
that's as, as far as I'm aware. We, we're it's actually not, setting it's not up code right now. for someone selling a boat on Facebook shop, you know, store or anything like that. I haven't heard that one before, but no, we just get some plants in and people have a great time with. Uh, it was actually really fun last time when people would go in, they'd buy plants and they'd bring them into the venue and have a beer, and the venue was just this massive greenery. It was fantastic. That sounds awesome, mate. I love the space you've got out there. Look, let's let's get on to talking about other spaces. Over the years, you guys have been on the podcast many times, and it sort of moved from a, a loose rumour two or three years ago that you were looking at setting up out in the West um, yep. to actually uh, specifying a site. For all of our overseas listeners, let's sort of just describe where Footscray is and the site that you were looking at, and then we'll get on to what's happened in the last few days. So the, the Footscray uh, site, uh, Footscray is located in uh, one of the inner west uh, suburbs of Melbourne, just alongside the Maribyrnong River. Um, it is a very a vibrant uh, suburb, full of a lot of life, a lot of nightlife, um, a lot of uh, young people, universities and that kind of thing. Um, and the venue that we were looking at is actually... Uh, a building known as the Frank Cozzo Furniture Store that he set up uh, in the 80s. Uh, uh, and for those people who were from Melbourne, you were in the 90s, and uh, became somewhat of an, an, an iconic figure. Um, and uh, so with him, with that particular business moving from that site, that building has now become available. Uh, and had a, we had a great idea that we would develop it to become a, a venue in the same similar sort of aesthetic that we have with uh, Moondog World here in Preston, as well as keeping an homage to the heritage of the site uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, that, that kind of Franco Cozzo history is not, is not taken, nothing is taken away from that. And, uh, we think it's a, such a, uh, an incredible site and we want to, you know, make sure it's restored and, and kept that way. And, I mean, again, just for sort of, you know, people who might be interstate or overseas, we're talking here about very sort of high Italianate, sort of over-the-top 1980s beds and lounges. That's right, yeah. It was a, a furniture store um, specialising in the very flamboyant uh, Rococo-style furniture. And I think, uh, yeah, for those who, were, who would have had uh, Italian families or that kind of thing, they would recognise that furniture very well. And he was very successful, um, very successful at what he does. And so how long ago did this sort of adventure start for you guys? As I say, we sort of first heard that you were looking west I reckon it's, it's certainly pre-COVID. It could be four or five years ago now. Yeah, so COVID, uh, COVID did put a bit of a dampener on our expansion plans. We did plan to open new venues um, a lot earlier than, than, we've, than we've started doing it now. Uh, it was sort of put on the back burner for a couple of years while we sort of managed through the COVID times. Uh, and then it was about this time last year where we came across this, this, uh, this building that had been uh, advertised. Uh, and... Yeah, for us, it was just an opportunity that we couldn't let go. We contacted the, the agents uh, and we said we, w- we would love to develop this, this space into a, you know, a, a venue, a, a Moondog venue that can you know, bring life and keep, keep the heritage of that building at the same time. So it was very exciting for us. Uh, and the, the landlord at the time entered into an agreement with us where we would ex- explore this pending a... Uh, Council planning application approval. Uh, and so that's sort of where we've been. And we submitted the application to the council at the start of October. Um, and we've been working with them on that ever since. 
And I guess that brings us to last night. I don't know whether it was a council meeting or whether it was a, uh, just a decision of the council officers. We, uh, we, we know our way around local government here on the podcast. It seems to be something we, we talk about a lot. Um, what was the process there? And I, I guess, what was the outcome for those that haven't heard already? So the, the process for these kind of planning applications were, is that if the application itself gets more than 11 objections, then it gets presented, uh, and then you work through work through it with the planning office, and then it gets presented to the council councillors meeting. Um, it did get those objections from nearby residents. There was a bit of media around it at that time in December, um, and they brought up some very valid concerns, and we've been working to address those for the entire time. Unfortunately, um, it got to a point this week where the, the planning office decided to refuse the application um, on some of the grounds based on what the objectors have seen. Um, we, so in, in that particular situation, it's not going to be submitted to the councillors' meeting um, because it was refused by the planning office. Um, we think a lot of the, the, the points raised by the councillors' office are ones that we can address quite well. I mean, we're, we don't want to create an area uh, or a situation that's unsafe for pedestrians or vehicles or car parking and that kind of thing. Um, that's the idea that we're trying to. We want to be. We want to be a positive influence in that particular area in Footscray. We want to have a positive experience with the council and with residents and with the local community. Uh, and I know that, uh, despite the fact that it has been refused, um, I know that we can work through the details of those re the, the reasons of refusal. And I'm very confident that we can come to a, an agreement uh, with the council. Uh, either uh, sort of, you know, in, in a mediation process or through an appeals process as well. So I guess the bottom line out of that, we don't need to go into all of the whys and wherefores of local planning laws and appeals processes, but you guys are still very much looking at what you want to, uh, what you want to do there and the dream is still alive. I guess that's the bottom line. The dream is definitely still alive. And I know we've got a huge amount of community support out there that, Whilst the, 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 the application did receive some objections, it also received upwards of 60 submissions of support, which is something that had never been seen before by anyone I've spoken to, um, ranging from residents who lived in the area to community groups to um, trading groups and that kind of thing. Uh, so the, the amount of positive support that we've received throughout this process has been incredibly overwhelming. Um, and it's just, it just goes to show how much the Footscray community care about this site and they want to see it being, being used and not sort of falling into disrepair. And I think that's, uh, that's something that we can offer. Look, it is just such an iconic space in one of Melbourne's most iconic suburbs. I guess the question is, how can people show support? Is it by jumping onto Moondog's socials and, or, and uh, following you there? Is it jumping onto your online store and grabbing some beer? Is that the best <laughs> way to show a bit of support so that you can, um, you can afford to keep going with the process? Yeah, oh, that, that would be fantastic. Coming in and seeing, seeing the venues for yourself and seeing what we are going to be able to, what we do want to, what we do want to offer in, in Footscray um, would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, at this stage, it's, it's going to be up to, what we can do to come to an agreement. Um, and look, the, the amount of support that's been shown so far has been fantastic and we'll be using a lot of the information and a lot of the feedback that we've gotten from the community as part of our discussions with the council. So.
Look, mate, thank you for your time today. I can only imagine how hectic a day it must be for you. So uh, just off the back of Good Beer Week and things and then an announcement like this and all of the work that that'll create for you. But um, thanks so much for your time today. And we look forward to getting together for another beer very soon. Fantastic. Thank you for having me on your show, David. Well, here we are. If you're listening in on the podcast version, then hopefully for you, it's episode 181. For those of us that are in the cool room, Zoom room on a Thursday night, what better place could you be? Uh, You would have had an uninterrupted experience from the episode 180. You would have had a chat about all sorts of weird and wonderful things that we will never mention again in public in the, it was supposed to be five or ten minute break. It turned into about half an hour. We've discussed pumpkins. We've discussed how Ross's nail fell off into, uh, well, I presume it didn't go into the brew. He's too professional for that. Uh, All sorts of weird and wonderful things Talk about weird and wonderful things. Talk about great names for a beer that caused Warren to uh, lose his shtick for a while along the way there. The complete and utter desolation of s'more is perhaps the best (laughs) name of a beer. Well, it's, it's undoubtedly the best name for a beer I've seen this year. It's almost the best name I've ever seen for a beer ever. And Mr Warren Wu, I'm going to throw to you here in episode 181 to get us back on track with our chat with Ross from Bacchus Brewing while I open this can that I have been looking forward to for so, so long. It's it's a beer that has this really lovely layer of different flavours, but what really clearly comes through is that marshmallow, like it is literally a toasted marshmallow character. There's not, like, I don't know if it's... It's because you're expecting it and, and it, it triggers those, those um, thoughts in, and tastes in your mind. But, Ross, how on earth do you get that flavour in a beer? That particular one? Yeah. Uh, a lot of marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> Is this like the pumpkin story, the melon story? The no, so we, 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 don't, we don't toast the marshmallows. The marshmallows do go into the boil and uh, like legit. many kilos of them. How many, oh, oh, how many kilos? Um, I don't know, 50 litre keg, I think about 14 kilos of marshmallows. So can, I'm not trying to be, like, I'm, anyone who listened to episode 180 can go back and review this and be, I'll be proven right. I am in a difficult kind of mood tonight and I'm exploring these things. I don't know how to visualise that weight of marshmallows. Like, what is a... What is the size of that? It's huge. Yeah. Because, like, a marshmallow is quite light. Like, a marshmallow is effectively air held together lightly by sugar. Yeah, but it does does disappear. Yeah. So when when you're putting them into the boil, they will disappear. So they're really adding a flavoured sugar into the brew at the end of the day. And, like, do these marshmallows come in packs? Are you... Actually, opening up packets of marshmallows. Yep. yep. Are they Allen's? Uh, the pink and white ones with the yep. yeah yep. the ones that yeah. So we just look around what what's what's around. So we'll either go to Costco and pick up their big bags, or uh-huh. you'll generally find that Woolworths or Coles will have marshmallows on special, and then I'll have to go online through their online ordering system because I want sort of sixty kilos of them or whatever it is. 
and it takes them a couple of weeks to muster them up and get them through to the one store for pickup. And then I just literally turn up with the ute and they put tray after tray of bags on the back. And then we go back and just slowly empty them and pour them into the brew. Um, and in terms of brewing, is there an art to putting them in the, like, is there a way when, if you want to do this at home for some godforsaken it's reason? It's quite technical. You sort of got to cut the corner off with a pair of scissors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, opening a packet and pour it in. Something I'm okay with, Ross. Thank you for that. But, but, but like, when, when do you put them in? Like, do you... At the start of the boil, because it's a long time getting them in there. <laughs> I didn't think of that, but yeah, okay, I can see that. I mean, you could say, Adam, at the last five, ten minutes of the boil, is, which is when you add a lot of things, so mm-hmm. the boil doesn't affect them too much, but if you're trying to add, you know, 14 kilos of marshmallows into a single keg, hmm. it takes a bit of time, because yeah. they float. And oh, yeah, and they float. They dissolve before you can add more, so it is a bit of a continual feeding system. David, I'm done. No, 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 I'm, 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 I mean, I, so, so Warren, you started this beer before I did. I'm tasting it now. I, I, the marshmallowness of it is amazing. And it's amazing how you associate different yes. things with the flavours. So yeah. for me, I'm actually feeling the dustiness of an yes. apple, the outside of a marshmallow yeah. on my palate, on the front of my tongue, mm. in a way that clearly can't be real, but I've got that same dusty marshmallow flavour coming through, which I'm just loving. That's The human mind is a beautiful thing. It does, and, and having the mind and telling you what you're going to taste definitely helps, but you still do, and it's sort of where I feel we like to go have our beers. So, you know, one of my sort of pet things is something like our lamington ale that Jenna was talking about earlier. If you drink our lamington ale... If you actually eat a lamington, it's basically sponge. There's not much chocolate about it. And and it's covered with a sort of toasted, desiccated coconut. So really the flavours in it are sponge, coconut, and a little bit of chocolate. But everybody makes, you know, coconuts or stouts and things and calls them a lamington. But they're just coconut stouts which to me don't have any of the character of what a lamington actually is. You've got to just call it a coconut stout, but if it's a lamington, it should really taste a sponge yep. and coconut with just a dusting of chocolate. Yeah. So, you know, our lamington ale is designed to taste like a liquid lamington. Yeah. And some people hit us up and say, oh, it's so light, it should be, you know, I, want, I wanted it to be really heavy. Well, a lamington isn't heavy. It's a, one of the lightest things you'll ever eat. You know, so we we ended up making a 10% sort of mug cake version of it, which is our lambing tom. Um, but the lambing tom, the, the regular one, you know, it's it's a light sponge beer, and that's the flavours to me that should be in it. You know, otherwise, why would you call something a lamington that doesn't have those flavours? So that's that's just one of my little 
don't think bugbears, but to me, if you call something something, it should really be tasting of that as best you can. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> can, can I ask about the chili in this, which is on the label? It's uh, we've just discussed the marshmallowness. We've discussed a few things about this flavour, and yet what actually remains on my palate is a bit of chili. You said before you're mm. not the chili man. Yeah. Can you explain the chili component of this, please? Yeah, so chili is probably one of one of the hardest items I reckon to add to a beer, uh, because everybody's chili perception is so different. I've done chili beers that I've been unable to drink almost because they've been too hot, and then I've had another employee in our company reckon we haven't put any chili in it at all, and it's not him being smart; he just can't taste it. Mm. And the trouble is the chili is giving balance to the beer. So if you're not picking up the chili, then your beer's stuffed. And if the chili's overbearing, it destroys the beer. So it's a very, very hard thing to do to get a balance of chili that actually works almost for everybody, which you want. You don't want to only hit one third of your audience with a success. So I don't really like doing chilli beers for that reason. Uh, but this is just brought in as a an after effect, and it's in one beer that for some reason even the chilli heads seem to enjoy as much as people who don't really like chilli like myself. Because this is, is one of my, my favourite stouts, and I'm not a chilli person. Is this chilli going to come back to haunt us? I used to make a chilli, no, a, a, a chocolate and Carolina Reaper beer. Well, you didn't realise you were drinking Reapers because of the sweetness of the chocolate. No, not even sweet, the mellowness of the chocolate. And eventually it got One of the things in a chilli beer is making sure you've got every fragment of chilli out of the actual beer. Mm. Because chilli beers actually very easy for them to gain heat Mm. over time. Mm. You've got any little tiniest of fragments... Passing over into the beer, you can find the chili component sort of doubling over time. It's, it's quite incredible how it can build. Um, so in this beer, the actual, we used uh, uh, the smoked chipotles, the beer we're using, because we're looking for that sort of smoky effect. Um, but what we do is we leave them sat on vodka, for extreme length of time and and just decanting the clear liquid into the beer. So we end up with a level of chilli that just stays there consistent. Oh, that's really clever. I do the same thing with tequila. Like I've got a bottle of tequila with a bunch of chilli in it and I add that to my margarita occasionally. Because it works really well. And that, that kind of plays a theme with your, your oak as well. Um, to, to like resting spirit, uh, the oak in a spirit to, to create like an oak syrup. Is there any other products where you do use a similar method to create that flavor profile that you're looking for or that control? Uh, they're probably the main two, to be honest. Mm. Uh, probably oak different oaks and, um, and, and chilies. So that, that, they're probably the, the main two because you, you really can't. We've tried doing chilies and putting them through coffee filters and everything, but we'll still find the beer will gain 
in heat. The keg sits in your cold room yep. uh, for a few weeks, and then you taste it again, and it's twice as hot as it was uh, when you kegged it. So you really want the beer to remain the same. During this whole, uh, during our break and this little bit of the conversation, we've discussed uh, the labour that's gone through by yourself and the rest of the family to create these flavours and add these flavours. One of our one of our good friends, Moondog Brewery, uh, have a have a particular beer which which this one reminded me of. So the Ogden Nash Pashrash uh, uses an Allen's product, um, the the Red Skin, and they convinced them to to kind of supply red skin, liquefied red skin, because they were sick of opening red skins. Just like it sounds like you were probably sick of opening 60 kilos worth of marshmallow packets. <laughs> have you have you approached different, uh, like how have you found different ways to add these flavours and reduce the labour involved? Have you, have, you, have you approached a marshmallow company to just go, can you give us liquid marshmallow? Be honest, I mean, no pain, no gain. I mean, there's almost something about if you've really put your heart and soul into something. Yeah, I might feel a bit differently now we've got the big kit here. Yeah. Where 40 kilos now becomes 400 kilos of crushed <laughs> Yeah. They're potentially getting liquid ones would <laughs> make a lot easier and I wouldn't complain. Um, but... There's no way that any of the big companies are going to supply us stuff in the format we'd like on the on the level that we've mm. been. Yeah. Um, so that might change a little bit with the slightly bigger brewery that, you know, some of the things we've done in the past we might be a bit more reluctant to make. I, I dread the first time I asked my wife that instead of making uh, 150 litres of uh, Lamington, we're going to be making 1,200. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably... It's probably going to be three or four days of of toasting coconut. So, you know, we've already thought that we ought to maybe go to some commercial kitchens and try and bribe them with some beer to toast the coconut for us. Or maybe we'll try, you know, doing it with less, less coconut, but maybe overly toasting a smaller proportion. I don't know. It's something. Uh, it just probably. I only really thought about it now as you're talking to me. Yeah. Thinking, oh shit. <laughs> because yeah, how many kilos of pumpkins are you going to have to? No, well, we've, we've got our 200 liter brownmeister. So we'll be bringing on. I can guarantee you, we will not be doing bigger pump, bigger batches of pumpkin. We we brew them as as that size now, and we will continue to do it. I have no intention of looking to increase our distribution of pumpkin beer. Um, <laughs> so uh, that, that will not affect anything. But the Lamington one is a bit of a, an interesting one because, you know, it's a, a very popular beer. And, but yes, again, maybe because of the amount of labour involved, unless we find a better option, we might only be releasing that in much smaller batches. So I was really, probably listening to this from the bedroom now. And <laughs> yeah. You have zero chance of me doing that. 
Yeah, for a 1200 litre batch of. Fair enough. You're amongst friends. I, I will certainly say for me that I could not do this weird business that is the Cool Room podcast without my lovely wife, Jennifer. I know that Warren's lovely wife, Nick, has helped out at various stages in his hospo sort of journey. We've spoken about so many things. We haven't actually heard your story. I'm fascinated to know how it is that we're sitting here in 2023 and you've sustained this like where did it start did you ever was there a time 30 years ago where you sat down and went what I really want to be doing is making Lovington beers or pumpkin beers or cocktails like tell us tell us the first craft beer you ever had or the first beer you ever had let's go on let's go on the Ross story through brewing well, well I'm, I'm a pom and a real ale fanatic so really you know I was a local in my Local pub from the age of about 16. Where was the local pub? In a village called Wallingham in Surrey, England. Uh, a very, very, very old pub, I think in the 1200s or something. Um, but um, that's where I started drinking and drinking real ale. And that's been, was my passion for a long, long time until uh, coming to Australia. Uh, my profession at the time of coming to Australia was actually a scrap metal dealer. I was can, a... we, we have a competition. Oh, sorry to cut across. We have a competition here in the call room about trying to yeah. guess where brewers come from. It's normally oh, IT. <laughs> it's normally, you know, sometimes we, we've had some scrap metal dealer. is not one we've ever had before. In fact, I'm pretty confident we'll never have scrap metal dealer again. I don't think we need to put it on the on well, the my, my, list. My journey in work has been very, very weird, really. We love yeah, that. Very quickly, does, I mean, does anyone else envision this Mad Max guy standing in the middle of a desert with like a whole pile of scrap metal behind him? <laughs> I'm thinking more like the bill, and they've well, chased even, someone even down. Even into while a scrap I was building beer, I was actually in the early stages of Bacchus over in Libya dealing with Gaddafi's henchmen. Um, is this something I need to edit out of the podcast? Trading, no, no. Trading, trading scrap out sure? of Libya. Wow. Just on a trip to England, and the guy said he had this opportunity. And I said, mate, if you want, I'll come with you. And the next minute we were on a plane and we were in Libya. Wow. I like, I'm, I'm, I was, I, like, I get images of Nick Cave in Lord of War. (laughs) We were going through missile bloody things looking at and I've got guys telling me I'll take some pictures and I'm saying there's no way I'm getting a camera out in here or I'm never going to leave. Wow. So so again, how do we get from Libya to owning the beautiful pristine brewery that you do? Like, I mean, tell us that. So I ended, uh, as I say, I came over here um, and joined Sims as a state manager, Sims Metal. Oh, know. yeah, we know them. I dropped something yeah. off to them in Brooklyn in yeah. West Melbourne. They sponsored or still do a footy team? I know that. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, I, got, I got laid off. On, I won't go into the details, but I got made a scapegoat for a company problem. So I got laid off from there. So I set up my own company and we literally uh, took... A million dollars worth of business off them almost overnight. 
Nice. And that yeah. well, which was really sweet. I could imagine. Um, That's very uh, satisfying. Did the company there for a while and then basically, to be honest, I almost semi-retired. I we sort of split with my business partner. I took over the international trading and he kept the sort of scrap metal yard here. So I used to spend probably three months a year over in the UK and places just trading scrap metal mainly from the UK into China. Um, and then just set up the, the, the home brewing on the side, a little home brewing business because I couldn't get the ingredients I wanted. And so you were a home, I guess just to bring this back away from our scrap metal podcast yep. that we do spend a bit of time on, but back to the brewing bit, yep. you were already a home brewer, yeah? I was a home brewer because I literally only because I couldn't get the English beers that I so craved here. There was nothing. Uh, so I started brewing them when I discovered there was grain brewing and the fact that I could actually make the beers from home and brewers from England. What were the, what were the beers from home you were craving? Like which were there particular brands and labels? That yeah, you were... Probably then a uh, brewery you never have heard of, but King and Barnes, which was from Horsham in Sussex. No. Which was just my local brewery and yeah. beers I crave. But I mean, I loved all the English beers. I was actually a real beer fanatic for English beers, and there was nothing here. And I bought kits that you could buy from the shops of extract mm. syrup, etc. That Not just was so far off the mark. Yeah. It wasn't funny. And then discovered you could actually make beer from grain, <laughs> and that was the absolute eye opener. I guess it's like discovering real coffee from instant. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the same difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but did you uh, ever think of that thought at that time? Did you go, yeah, sure? What I'm going to do is, you know, be running a large Queensland brewery? Or no, 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 no. So it was just really getting the ingredients that were really hard to get. Um, so I decided to start trying to buy them myself. So I had to set up a little company to be able to buy them, and. We were literally almost the first homebrew store in Australia to look at all grain side of things seriously. It was grain and grape in Melbourne. They were about the only other one, but even they didn't really take it very seriously back then. When you say back then, and I'm sorry to keep cutting across yeah. you, but in terms of time, are we, are we talking 2019? 17 years. Yep. Oh, yeah. So I've had Bacchus now since 2010 and Craft Brewer, which was our home brew store, I think for about five years before that. Right. Um, So actually 2004, I think, uh, Craft Brewer kicked off. So back then, there was nothing. If you bought hops, you didn't know if they were one year old or ten years old. Mm. There was no one putting a year on a packet, nothing. Wow. And we kicked all that off and literally went from just a little side hustle at home uh, within uh, less than 12 months. We had a turnover of about 1.3 million uh, just supplying the all-grain parts of the market. Wow. To a typical home brew store was only maybe 1% of their turnover, maybe five at most. So most people had no real interest in that. But that's all all we did. And I couldn't believe how it took off. So it really took over home. 
the wife said, you've got to find somewhere to do this if you want to keep on doing it. As I was still trading scrap metal, I was just doing this as a something to keep me busy during the day because most of my trading was at night because uh-huh. I was trading out of Europe and obviously, you know, their hours are different to ours. Uh, so I'd trade for about three or four hours of an evening and that was it. So I really had my days to myself. God, I wish I'd kept it that way, but there you go. Um, <laughs> And, um, yeah, started doing it, and we ended up, in the time I was looking for a store to move out of home, I'd gone into Bacchus, who they call a Braun premise, which I'm not sure if you have them in Melbourne, probably do. We back, come in absolutely and brew. back in the day. Mm. Yeah. yeah. People come in and brew their beers on the cheap. Oh, which is why you've got six. The multiple kettles. Yes. But the brewing premises around the country at that time were all using syrup. Hmm. Bacchus was, I think, the first and only all-grain bop brewing premise in the country at that time. So they sort of the first ones to do it, which, you know, when you're brewing from extract, they're spending 10 minutes with the beer being prepared, you know, with all-grain. You're talking hours and hours. So it wasn't probably the most practical move but uh it certainly made much better beer um so they were just one of the premises i went around when i was looking for somewhere to move the home brew store to and i tried to take over some of the shed uh, to run the home brew store because they had a lot of vacant space they weren't using uh, but they weren't interested but they were interested in selling the business um i had no interest at the time i think they were after about six hundred thousand for the business and I had no interest. I didn't have the money, and I just wanted somewhere for my home brew store. And just over time, I just stayed in contact with them and their accountant. And every time they dropped the price, I'd get a call from their accountant saying, "Are you interested? It's now four fifty. It's now three hundred. And I say, "Now yeah. will you pay the rent?" I always say I'm interested, but you know I don't have the money. No, sorry. And then one day I got a call. Uh, saying, do you seriously have an interest? And I said, well, I do. I'd love to have a brewery, but, you know, I don't have the money. And the accountant said, well, I can give you a tip. Uh, They're going to walk away from the business tomorrow and just close down, just walk away from their debts. Uh, If you've got any interest at all, get over there and do a deal. So I jumped in the car, went over there, and basically bought it for scrap value. And you'd have an understanding of what that was. <laughs> what that exactly. is, yeah. I know exactly what it was worth. So you can imagine it was it was a very, almost taking it over for nothing. Can, can I, because uh, we obviously love the behind-the-scenes stories. I'm going to ask something that might seem a bit left-field, but we've spoken about your family and their involvement in those things. Did you speak to the rest of the family before you jumped in the car? Nope. So I'm amazed I'm still married. (laughs) (laughs) I think most of us who are on the podcast and still married as well have similar feelings about our relationship. But in all honesty, I didn't pay a lot for it. Hmm. But Jesus, it changed our our lives. So what was it? I've got two questions before Warren jumps back in. What was it like to go back home and say, guess what, I've just bought a brewery 
And what was the first beer you made on the system, like where you actually went, okay, this is all mine now? Ooh, very first beer. I don't have that in front of me. I should have looked at that, shouldn't I? Is it, I mean, which is I think the very first beers, the very first beers were the beers that we were left from the brawn premise that was there. Oh. As they actually did a, a bad thing by us. We don't mind talking here. Well, I don't mind people knowing anyway. Um, but we took over the business and I said to them, obviously, I was happy to carry on brewing the beers that they were currently doing for people uh, for no charge. You know, I'd finish them off and give yeah. them their beers in good faith. Uh, what they did was they went out and forward sold no. months worth of beers um, and took the money. Oh, so nasty. So I was left brewing for two months. I had to supply the ingredients, brew the beers, and supply them to them for not nothing. I had to pay for the ingredients and get no recompense because, I mean, I could have told the customers, but, you know, if you went and told the customers that, they loved the people that were there. And yeah. I would like the, the villain. Yep. And the it's fact the... that I had bought the business so cheaply, uh, you know, it was only about 10 grand's worth of business, but it was... Still you a know. bit nasty. Oh, it was nasty. And the worst thing about it was that they promised to help us with everything and any queries we had on everything. Um, but because of them doing the dirty on us, they disappeared. And even to this day, I don't own the Instagram account that's set up as Bacchus Brewing. Oh. I was wondering about that because when I, I added you in, I found, I found your personal Instagram account, essentially. I think. Yeah, and there is a Bacchus under slash brewing, but the actual Bacchus brewing Instagram is still there. Same images from 15 years ago. Before Instagram existed, I can't get it. Hey? Uh, look, um, it's, it's not funny. It's exactly why we call the podcast The Cool Room and all these sorts of things. It's because when you buy a venue, if you're in hospital like Warren and I are, you think you're buying this and then you actually get in six months later and you find there's been no maintenance done on the cool room or... Oh, well, we found on our brewery that, you know, it was basically sold without any books because of the mess that he was in. And it was because he had like a master brewer who was the guy, the couple I bought it off were the financiers, if you like, and they had this uh, professional brewer who had talked them into opening the first all-grain raw on premise, and to this day I don't know what happened, but he walked out on them, so left them with a brewery with no knowledge. Uh, so when I walked in and actually took over and started looking into what was going on, uh, they were brewing the brews for 10 minutes. So as you probably know, a beer normally takes a minimum of an hour of boiling. They were 10 minutes. They never measured a single gravity or where the beers were at. So their 5% beers were about 2.5%. It was no wonder the customers thought they got no hangovers off their beers because <laughs> there was no alcohol in The 3.5% beers were about 1%. Um, so it was a... And, and nothing had been serviced in two years. So things like your steam boiler has to be serviced by law every, tw every month and quarterly uh, reports and everything else done. Nothing had ever been done. There was no insurances. There was no nothing. 
So it was a, a very rude awakening. It's a very real thing. I, I love the fact that we can have these very honest discussions because so many people listen to the podcast who aspire to own breweries or own venues. And, you know, I, I've been one of these people. You go in with the very rosiest of glasses on. Um, we've got a couple of traditional cool room questions we need to ask, Mr. Warren. Then we've got some audience questions lined up. And then I think we're going to do what we normally do here on a Thursday night in the cool room, which is stop recording and then just sit around and chat. So, Mr. Wu, do you want to take the lead on these things? And if you're in the audience here on a Thursday night, live with us in the Zoom room, first of all, thank you for being so. Type your questions into the Zoom and uh, into the Zoom chat, I should say, and we'll ask those questions and get you to unmute and ask them yourself in a minute or two. I kind of think Ross has already answered the what's the craziest, strangest thing you've seen in a cool room because... It's. It sounds like the whole brewery was a bit of of that, but yeah. Did you have a? Did you? Was there something that stood out in a particular instance, which has really blown your mind in the in brewing or in your time as in hospitality? What do you mean by blowing my mind? Sorry, I'm not with you. you oh, so is. The the question normally is, and David's looking really strangely at me because. I, yeah. No, no, I'm typing. That's why I'm looking. Oh, okay. It. Oh, great. I Perfect. always look strange right. when I type. You always look, yeah, and yeah. So, so our normal question, Ross, is what is the weirdest, strangest, smelliest, most explosive thing you've seen in a core? You kind of answered with the amazing thing that was dumped on your lap when you took over Backers, but yeah, do you have another? Do you have another crazy? gross, uh, diabolical thing that's happened in a brewery situation or that you've seen in other kind of... I know, it'll be a bit boring here because I'm not sure I've really got an answer on that one. It's perfectly okay because everything else has been absolutely... Everything is... (laughs) We've had so many challenges with everything and things we do. Um... Is there one of those challenges, we often talk to people who've gone through the whole journey and a bit like, I guess, running a marathon, when you get to kilometre 30, you go, oh, well, this is the problem now, I've got to get through it. But one of those things that if you'd been told at the beginning this would be a problem, you wouldn't have done it? I don't think if I'd known the journey at the start, I probably would never have taken it on, even now. Yeah. I'm brutally honest. I mean, I love the business to bits, but it's been a massive strain on our family. Mm-hmm. And it still is. I mean, you know, we nearly went bust probably three times during COVID. Yep, we get that. Weird. You know, and I'm over 60. Uh, every cent I've got is in the business. So I'd have been bankrupt with no home, no business, no super, no nothing. So... It's pretty scary. Mm. For me, personally, I don't have too many worries, but, you know, I have a wonderful wife and, uh, you know, uh, to put her through those things is is not fair. Uh, So the option, again, I wouldn't do it as much as I absolutely would not really want to be doing anything else. But I went from a business that earned 
huge money for very little work to something where I totally love it and the whole lifestyle of it, but uh, you're working, I mean, for probably 10 years, I worked seven days a week. Mm -hmm. I literally now, I take one day off a week and I make sure I do regardless of whether I can afford it or not. So at least spend a limited time with my wife, which really still isn't good enough. I think, you know, I mean, I won't speak for Warren, but for me as well, like, you know, this podcast started about me taking over a pub in West Melbourne, a pub that I eventually couldn't sustain during COVID. This, that's sort of the story. It's just mm-hmm. this sort of, it's a lot of hard, Jacko. It's a lot of fun when it's fun. But you know, aren't fun, aren't much fun. We take on the commitment to this new brewery, which, you know, everything was put in place 12 months ago when everything was looking actually very rosy in this business. And we're now got interest rates rising by the week. Yep. Um, the market has died a death mm-hmm. on all sides. Yeah. And Can I ask a question? I don't want to wallow in the... falling over every minute at the moment. So it's a, it's a worry. Mm. I don't wish to wallow in sadness, but... No. Do you think the market is changing as well in terms of sort of premium beers, those high alcohol, high expense beers compared to sort of, you know, more, for want of a better term, core range, easily accessible beers that people can buy a six-pack of and take home to watch the footy with? Because that's a bit of that happening in Melbourne at the moment. Oh, it's very much switching that way at the moment. But we're still a very small part. And I believe, personally, I mean... Okay, I'm biased, it's my coming, but I think we make the best high-end beers in the country. So I would like to think of the small volume that we're looking to do, that we'll still have that niche that will will be okay. Um, because we're not looking, you know, we're looking to sit under what they call the, the excise-free threshold, um, which... Um, we can grow three and a half times our current size without paying excise. And that puts us in a very advantageous spot. And we can put, actually for the first time, some money in the bank. Mm. Um, if we can do it. So I'm, I'm pretty confident with what we have that um, you know, we'll be okay and, and actually hopefully do quite well. Um, we're looking at potentially doing a public raise because my only real worries at the moment is the amount of debt I've taken on to do this expansion and the fact that interest rates are potentially spiraling out of control. Um, if we had no debt, we'd have a very good business even now. And with the new brewery, we'll have an excellent business. So um, if we can raise the capital to remove all our debt. Uh, we have a very exciting company, you know, for, for ourselves and our backers. And and the fact is that we're not looking to grow bigger than Ben-Hur, like your Black Ops and people like that. We want to sort of sit in the sweet spot of the current system, um, which if, it, if our business just grew, naturally uh, grew on what we're doing now, because we've been at maximum production now for probably oh, seven years, so we, we we don't supply kegs anywhere. We literally just our bar and our cans, and we're very very small. Um, but 
if we grew that three times, uh, that would put an excess of a million on our bottom line um, with our current staff. So, you know, without really doing anything, because we, we've run a model that in, in theory should never, ever get off the ground. You know, the, the volume we make, people, I don't think people realise how tiny we actually are. No, I would have, like, genuinely, I wouldn't have known. Mm. Like, given like the way your brand presents in I mean, we, we, only, we only make about 16 to 18 kegs of beer a week, mm. which is tiny. Imagine mm. if we're selling those wholesale at $400 a keg. Yeah. The cost of making them. Yeah. There's no way we'd have a business. Not a lot of money there. There's not a lot of money there at all. I, I love the I love the honesty. We have a turnover of about a million at the moment on a very very tiny volume, hmm. and we're exporting all over Europe. Hong Kong has just kicked off and going really well. So, you know, the, having the bigger brewery will be an absolute godsend. Uh, we can make three times the volume of beer we currently can for half the labour costs we've currently got. Mm-hmm. That's a massive difference. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've got to get going. <laughs> and that's the challenge. Look, I love those. I love the honesty. Um, it's a really... I'm difficult... happy to share it. It's, no, know, no, no, no. But it is. It's, this is what the podcast is all about, really genuinely. It's about sitting down and having a beer amongst people in the industry and sharing. Like, it's been a really difficult five years. I don't know. Maybe it's always been hard. But for my five years in the industry, in weird different forms, it's always been difficult. It's difficult every three months in a different way at the moment, I feel. Mm. Yeah. Um, we've got some audience questions lined up, and I really want to thank everyone who's uh, who's been uh, online, put their questions in. Wally, do you want to unmute, my friend? And um, you can ask your question. I'm so grateful that you're here. I love the fact that you live in... No, I, I almost can't mention... I love the fact that I think the street you live in and the town or suburb you live in becomes one single Australian poet. And that's all I can say without giving away where you live entirely. But I, I might be the only man who appreciates that in Australia. The sad story is that um, the pub here was called the Blue Mountain Inn, which is, what I think, what the Blue Mountains was named after. And it's recently named, it's renamed itself to the Henry Lawson. But anyway, that, that that's the sad story. But, um, but yeah, so... Um, I guess that the question you're referring to is, is, is it going to be the end of an era um, mm. for, for, for Bacchus? Because like, I, I think um, part of the marketability is that you've just got infinite awesome beers and they're all experimental. And, and um, the, the new model, the new brew house will mean that, obviously less types of beer, but, mm-hmm. but also they'll be less experimental. So, um, do, yeah, do, is, well, is, is it going to be the end of an era? I guess, I guess it will be, but, um, but, um, is that a risk? Oh, definitely a risk. 
but but the current model couldn't survive. So it's either do it or close down. So, and the fact is that we have a yeah a back catalogue of amazing beers, um, and just even selling kegs, which you know you can't get our kegs in Sydney and Melbourne at the moment. So you know, despite where the market is, the the keg demand is still good. I mean, we had a distributor set up for Sydney, Melbourne, unfortunately, who was just happy. He runs a distribution company, loves our beers, and just said, send us the pallets, I'll pay you for them, and I'll look after it from there on. Perfect scenario. He literally fell over a week ago. Oh, shit. There's a lot of that going around, just by way of context. Fall over of cabbie, and then a massive massive fallout with his business partner. And he no longer has the distribution company. Oh. <laughs> so that was like my little cushion. Mm. And it's gone. Wow. You know, so that alone would have covered all the loans and everything else. And you know, I was feeling pretty comfortable. A week ago, my sort of world fell out from under me. There <laughs> we go now. So. We're getting things sorted now in other, other directions. But, you know, they're the things you face these days. With You think you've got something really cool happening and you're set up to do it. And it can fall over on you. I mean, I guess in a way, if we'd started six months ago, which I like to have been going now for six months because we got all these loans and advances a year ago with a year before we had to pay anything off. And literally the repayments start now and the brewery's only arriving now. But, you know, nothing is ever that easy to get going and get set up. Um, so at least now it is happening. Uh, but, you know, if we'd been going six months and had a heap of money tied up there, we could have gone for something very nasty. Who knows? Mm. So maybe maybe it's a blessing. But, uh, you know, it still doesn't help, you know, with the sleepless nights of, where we're going, because the thing is, we we have to be going full tilt from literally day one, which fortunately we have a really good name, obviously, around the country, and it shouldn't be too hard to do, but it's still something, you know, until you're in the position to to make it happen and move, um, it's definitely a worry. Um, So, but... You know, we're pretty confident, and we'll still be bringing out brews. I mean, the amount of brews we've brought out has actually been detrimental as well. You know, we've got a choice of about nearly 100 beers in our fridges at the moment for people. Sometimes too much choice works against you. You know, there's other people, your ranges and people releasing beers that sell out because they're only releasing two or three. But when you release 12 different beers a week, it doesn't really... It's not sustainable that people are going to keep buying those 12 beers a week off you. Can I ask, it was one of the questions that was, I think, typed in as question, you know, six or seven. Thing. You don't have a core range per se. We do. Oh, okay. Well, but no one has an interest of buying them really so- online beer because they want to try all our big beers. And why would you in Melbourne buy? You know, our parallels, because you've got a million parallels on your doorstep. Yeah, good call. 
you know, and we can't really compete in that parallel market. So really, just to explain why Bacchus is really, I mean, I love my English ales and I love my low alcohol beers, but we've become known for our big beers. But when you've got very limited production, so just to explain it, I mean, if you put beer into, say, cans, you know, if you're selling a pale ale, you know, the ingredients in a can of pale ale, that might be 50 cents of ingredients in the can, the typical example, and the cost of canning for us is a, a dollar per can. So it's, you know, we're there, a dollar fifty uh, cost on a pale ale that we might sell for, you know, four dollars. Um, something like Ab Fabergé, a 13% imperial stout. There's probably only a dollar's worth of ingredients in the can. A dollar for the can, so it's cost us two dollars against a dollar fifty. Yep. But I can sell that for twelve dollars. So why would I make parallels if I sell everything we make? And I can only make, you know, two dollars fifty a can on the parallel when I'm making eleven dollars a can on the Imperial Stout. It's, it's just a no-brainer. So we've sort of drifted into those high beers, which we've become very good at making, I believe. But, um, you know, that's an area where when you've got very small volume that you can get a return uh, on, your, on your dollar. Whereas if you're competing with the guys who are brewing 20,000-litre batches of pale ale, you know, their costings are so well below us. We, we can't compete in that mass market. Well, I've got to say, the desolation is tasting amazing as it warms in my glass and as I'm appreciating those flavours. I reckon it's one of the best stouts we make. I mean, it's why I selected the beers for this that I'm you did. proud of. You did and you were right. Um, Jenna, do you want to unmute? Let's go the Queensland thing here. Come on, Jenna. You know you want to. Um, you were saying before that you really like sour beers. What is your favourite sour beer? Good call. Uh, of anybody's or ours? Anybody's. <laughs> um, I really love uh, Cantillon and their, um, oh, I'm trying to think what it's called. Is it their Gambara? They're, they're sort of rose. Mm. It might sour. be literally called that, I think. Yeah, I think it is. It's one one of the. It's a bit blank on the name. That's the age problem I've got. But uh, um, their beers, I, I like sours with finesse. I'm not really into a lot of the American sours, where they're just going to strip enamel or whatever, and there's just no finesse in the flavour. You know, the Belgian sours are really what I personally enjoy. And they're sort of the sours that I prefer to make uh, rather than just something that is, you know, almost impossible to drink. There seems to be a thing like with anything with eating curries or whatever that people, you know, want to keep challenging themselves. And it's almost like, you know, if, I, if I'm really pushing myself to drink it, this is such a great beer. But, you know, you, you want to be able to knock off a, a 750ml bottle on your own of... Uh, 
a beer if it's worth drinking. You don't want to be just drinking half a glass and thinking that's it. Uh, I love the way I love the way you think. I fully agree, Miss Shana. Do you want to ask the probably the last audience question we have time for tonight? I can. Uh, <laughs> Ross, this is actually off the back of another person's question uh, about Queenslanders and their propensity to drink higher ABV, which sort of made me think along these lines. And I should say I'm not from the ATO. This isn't an audit. Um, but just just very sort of simply, and you did touch on international sales, what sort of percentage of stock leaves Queensland? Of our packaged product? Yeah. Uh, probably, probably 80% plus, maybe 90. Yeah, Leaves wow. Queensland. Yeah, and it goes into state of our packaged product. And how That's much of that? Saying selling online, obviously, there's stuff that gets sold through our people coming into our bar. Yeah. Which I, I don't know the figures, but if you were just talking online, um, we sell far more to Melbourne, Sydney than we do to Queensland. Yeah. And then I suppose, again, like really simply, because I know you can't track everything anyway, but how much of that potentially 80 to 90% that's leaving Queensland is going internationally? I wasn't including international. Oh, okay. No, that's okay. That, that's amazing. That's perfect. Thank you. I was just really curious. Not a lot. I mean, we just did a 100 cases to Europe, which was a trial batch and looking at all the reviews online. You know, our beers are going off really well in Europe. Um, so, and we just hit Ireland, which was pretty cool, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, I had a customer of mine who's currently on holiday in Portugal, and he just sent me a message and a picture saying, mate, your beers are on sale here in a shop in Portugal, <laughs> which I didn't realise we were there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're going all over Europe at the moment. Does that mean you get oh, to... Um... It's a small quantity, but... We're hoping that's going to obviously grow. Does that mean you get to tell Mr Chalmers that you have to fly over to Portugal and spend a month or so there mm. just making sure that you're, you know... That well, it, well, it does give me the opportunity to fly overseas and be able to claim it, which, you know, every trip I do overseas, I do. Yeah, well, I'll cut that out. Every trip <laughs> is always about uh, seeing the opportunities when you're there. Ross, on the tail of that, is there a country or a place in the world that you would just be so thrilled to find out had a cult following of that? Well played, Shana. I thought I'd muted you, but well played. I think I, I, I think Europe because I'm very much into European style beers. I'm not as much into the the big American stouts where everybody wants something to taste like tar, which to me is not really what beer should be about. Um, a proper Russian imperial stout is quite a light beer in reality. Um, it is not something loaded with freaking lactose, etc. But it's what people want, and you've got to supply what the customers want. But I would much rather make a traditional Russian imperial stout than a, an Americanized one, personally. Uh, but, you know... We've got sort of the three highest rated beers in Australia on Untapped, and they're all super heavy, thick, 
pastry stouts. So <laughs> we've got to give people what they want, but they're not personally. I mean, I enjoy sitting down <coughs> and enjoying a glass of something really special. Uh, but if I want to crack something open in the general evening, I'd rather have a traditional imperial stout than a, a certainly way over having a, um, you know, some of the stuff coming out of Europe at the moment, which is just a diabetes beer. It's well, I reckon that's a really beer. good time for us to put a little bow on the recorded part of our Thursday night sessions a huge thank you, well, first of all, obviously, to Ross, to being here. Uh, a huge thank you to everyone who's joining us here live in the Zoom room. If you're listening on the podcast version and you've never been live on a Thursday night with us here in the Zoom room, then you're missing out. That's where you get to ask the questions. You get to sort of talk with the brewers. You get to have your questions asked by either Mr Warren Wu or I. Um it's just a fantastic experience. This is genuinely one of my favourite episodes we've done. We're 180 episodes in. I love the fact that we can meet new people and hear new stories. Ross, it sounds like we're on the tipping point of the next big thing here for Bacchus. Can you give us, please, the, uh, the social medias for Bacchus, can you give us, please, a bit of an insight as to how we can find Bacchus online and how we find the online store. There's so many beers in that online store, Mark. Yeah, close to 100 beers there at the moment, and uh, we never release anything we're not really happy with. But, you know, it's as simple as that. That's You'll find everything through there. And we're going to sit around. We're going to have a few more beers together here. If you're online on Zoom, if you're listening to the podcast, then you're about to hear us... The, Press the magic click button. There'll be no more noise after that. I'm welcome to hang around as long as you want. So I just need to get a beer. <laughs>